Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. We started the week by talking about all the wildfires burning up and down California. There's about 17 major wildfires across the state. The one that was the most concerning was the car fire up in Redding. Oscar, the car fire has destroyed more than a thousand homes in Shasta County, including neighborhoods in Redding. Like you mentioned, uh, more than 113,000 acres and has killed at least six people, making it the seventh most destructive fire in California history. There's videos, there was reports that the fire was so hot that it was making its own weather right there where all the fires were burning. And one of the things that happened here was a fire tornado it was reaching thousands of feet in the air. They're usually called fire whirls. We did speak to science editor at Axios. His name is Andrew Friedman. And he told us a little bit more about what these fire tornadoes are and how fast the winds were going. The video of it uh, was very compelling. And the witness accounts of the damage that was occurring outside the fire zone. So the power transformers that were knocked over, the trees that were knocked over, the housing damage that were outside of the area that burned were very characteristic of tornado damage. We know there is a history of tornado-like winds in severe fires and that that can intensify fires rapidly and make them do erratic things that make firefighters have to back off. So we have pretty good records of what this fire did uh, from three different top of the radars uh, over the course of around an hour or so. I just happened to be a weather observer a number of years ago on a mountain in Mount Washington Observatory in New Hampshire with this guy who's now one of the top experts on these types of phenomena in in fire weather. So I called him and I I asked, what the heck was this? And he said, for lack of a better term, this was essentially a fire serving as a tornado. And it formed in similar processes as you would get with a tornado, except you weren't getting this thunderstorm that was forming it. You were getting some wind shear on the side of the fire that then got tilted up into the vertical and intensified it. And There were a couple questions earlier this week from media outlets asking if the Weather Service was going to do surveys to try to figure out what happened here. And in this case, they decided around uh, August 2nd or so to do a survey with CAL FIRE. And so far, at least, it looks like the damage was consistent with an EF3 tornado, so winds of around 145 miles an hour. That may change, but uh, it's absolutely extraordinary. Nobody's really seen anything like this. One of my favorite stories of the week was the story of how an ex-cop rigged the McDonald's Monopoly game and stole millions of dollars. I remember playing this thing when I was younger. You'd buy all those value meals, they used to call them, I guess, with the stickers on the Coke. They had them on the fries. They had them on your hash browns. I think later on they had them on the burgers again. And the whole purpose of it was to build out your Monopoly game pieces. So you needed all four railroads and you'd get like some crazy prize, park place and boardwalk, and you'd get $250,000. And there was a ton of these instant win game pieces. Some of them were worth a million dollars. Some of them you can get like a Dodge Viper. And the story about this ex-cop 
His name was Jerome Jacobson. He was the director of security for a subcontracting company that was called Simon Marketing. And they were the ones that dealt with all the printed pieces. He was the main guy who would go and deliver the game-winning piece and put it on that wrapper and put it on that bottle of soda uh, that would let you win. Another aspect of this is that he figured out such a detailed way to steal these pieces. He even manipulated the security sensors by having an entire separate package of them so he could reseal these envelopes without anybody being the wiser. There was a secret auditor that was always with him to make sure everything was on the up and up. And the only time he could get away from that person was going to the men's bathroom because she was a woman. So he'd go to the bathroom and steal the game pieces and then he'd hand them out. It was a whole conspiracy that he ended up going through. He met a mobster by accident. His name was Gennaro Colombo from the Colombo crime family. And he was the one that really helped set off the whole conspiracy. He would find people to help win. We spoke to Jeff Mache. He wrote this story for the Daily Beast. And it's just an amazing story. I want to play a quick piece of audio to set some of this up. The mobster that Jerome Jacobson met up with, his name was Gennaro Colombo. One of the prizes that he gave to him was a Dodge Viper, a game-winning piece for a Dodge Viper. And this happened in the, in the 90s. So I went online and I found a McDonald's commercial of, of winners. This is from 1995 and pay very close attention to the last name you hear. People everywhere are winning big. Playing the Monopoly game at McDonald's. Barbara Gray won a Sea-Doo jet boat. Jerry Colombo won a Dodge Viper. And there are two $1 million prizes left. With millions of prizes left, you could be next. So that was from 1995. It said his name was Jerry Colombo winning a Dodge Viper. And it's in the story. We talked to Jeff about this. It's a wonderful thing to hear. Um, so here, take it away. We're going to listen to my interview with Jeff Mache about the ex-cop who rigged the McDonald's Monopoly game. Jeff, start us off on this story. It's a little known fact, but the McDonald's Monopoly game was corrupted by the mob. It was an inside job that started back in 1987, and it happened during the production of those game pieces that you and I tried to collect during the 90s. An ex-cop that was running the production of those started stealing the winning prizes. It's a huge scheme that ended up happening, and it involved mobsters and people all across the country. They really built a network of people that they were giving game pieces to, and then you can cash it out. People were even driving to a different state so you can cash out your game piece so as not to uh, get the pool of winners so close together. More than 50 people were convicted of this crime, and they were professionals. These were organized criminals who set up a network. They gave people fake identities. They had people moving states to set up fake lives in the next state over to collect their winning ticket. And these were big prizes. Million-dollar tickets, $500,000 tickets. You could win a Dodge Viper. For almost 13 years, almost every major prize was stolen by this criminal gang. And the man behind it all is Jerome Jacobson. He's also known as Uncle Jerry. And he, obviously, he kind of made the most sense. He was the guy who was physically handling the winning game pieces and supposedly distributing them out to the McDonald's packaging places where, you know, he'd place the winning ticket on that hash brown package or that fry container. And it was him all along because he was working security for this. He developed a reputation for looking in people's shoes and making sure they weren't stealing the game pieces. But he was the guy all along. Everyone was completely shocked when 
it was revealed that Uncle Jerry was behind this crime because he just had this great reputation. A former cop in Hollywood, Florida, he was a stickler for security and, and anti-theft. He invented all of the processes for McDonald's to make sure that none of these game pieces could be stolen. So really, he was in a prime position. And I think the temptation to steal was just too much for him. He was he was playing God. He was making right. millionaires. Yeah, he was a kingmaker uh, hand, handing out a million dollars at a time to these people. Who wouldn't be tempted? He's traveling across the country. He's wearing a special vest that he invented to keep the game pieces safe. And he's going to these factories and it's down to him to put them on the on the French fry packets. And like most scams, it started off small. He gave his brother $25,000 here. He gave his butcher a free car. It started small. And then obviously greed takes over. And before you know it, he's getting involved with some very, very sketchy characters. So what was his process? How was he getting the game pieces and how was he distributing them out? And how was he getting paid in return for that? He was the head of security at the company that produced the game pieces. And it was his job to take them off the print production line and seed them at the factory. So he would fly with an independent auditor all around the country. They'd send him to a random factory and he would hide them in a soft drink cup or a French fry container. And it was his job to put it in at random. The only time Jacobson was not being watched by this auditor was when he went to the restroom. So he'd sneak into the toilet and he would rip open the envelope that contain these million dollar game pieces and he'd steal them. He'd swap them out for commons or blank game pieces. So no one really knew it was him for a long, long time. And it was a weird mix up, almost fate. He had gotten a package by mistake, which had those security tags on it where the envelope would be closed and they'd put a little security sticker on it. And that's how you knew it wasn't tampered with. He had gotten a pack of those. And then that's when he realized, I'm going to go in the restroom, I'm going to open it, and I'm going to reseal it with an authentic security sticker, and then nobody's any the wiser. This was a complicated procedure. McDonald's, obviously a huge company, and they trusted the printer and, and these independent auditors to come up with a system that was foolproof. But experts have told me that not one person should be trusted with the entire system. They should have swapped out Jacobson every couple of months and give the responsibility to somebody else so right. that this doesn't happen. One of the things that happened is not that he was taken off of the project, but they changed some of the processes for a little bit. And then years down the road, they put him back in charge. So he was back in the game again on that. Yeah, they did change it briefly because they had other problems with theft at McDonald's because the other members of staff, you know, in the restaurants were, were stealing the tickets too. So right. it was a bit of a mess back then. So then how was he getting the payouts? I mean, he was setting people up to quote unquote, win or find one of these magic game pieces and then how was he making money off the deal with those people well he charged them for, for the ticket he'd sell the say a million dollar game piece for fifty thousand dollars if you win a million dollars with mcdonald's a lot of people don't know this you can either get the money up front or you can have it sent to you in fifty thousand dollar installments for 20 years and you pay less tax so what uncle jerry would say was here's a million dollar ticket when you get your first installment of $50,000, send that to me and I'll keep it. And he did that dozens of dozens of times. So stealing up to $24 million in prizes. How does the mob figure into this? I mean, they were tied to the Colombo crime family. He even gave himself a mobster name, uh, Geraldo <laughs> Constantino or something. And, and he was dressing in flashy suits. You know, this is after the process had been going on for a while. He was making a lot of money. How did the whole mob factor come into place? Well, the mob get involved in everything, don't they? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, it's not uh, a lucrative business unless they're involved. So, 
Well, anything like gambling, bookmaking, numbers games. So Uncle Jerry met by accident a gentleman called Gennaro Colombo in an airport in Atlanta. And they got talking. Colombo admitted that he was a member of the Colombo crime family, one of the five crime families in New York. He claimed he was part of the mafia and he started becoming a middleman for Jacobson. He was taking tickets and finding lucky winners. And he gave them to several people who went and claimed cars and million dollar prizes and boats. As we find out later in the story, getting involved with the organized criminals was actually part of Jacobson's downfall. It all came down to an FBI agent, Richard Dent, who really worked the case, uh, just really great detective work. And he's the one who found out uh, Columbo was involved and they were making money hand over fist on this process. The greed factor is high in an operation like this. Pieces started falling through the cracks. How did he crack this case? Frankly, there were just too many winners. The scheme got too big for its own good. And eventually someone picked up the telephone and they called the FBI field office and got through to Agent Dent, who's a brilliant white collar crime specialist. His job really is to break down bank fraud, mail fraud, public corruption, things like that. So the McDonald's case was kind of bizarre for Dent. I like to think of him at his desk surrounded by Big Mac wrappers. But the numbers, <laughs> right. I think, would have really appealed to him because he, he dealt with major crimes, major bank fraud. So he started tapping phones very early on. He tapped Jerry Jacobson's phone and immediately realized that this was a major, major fraud. Jacobson had also given his former partner, Columbo, the magic gray M&M. Uh, it was another promotion that his company that he was working security for was also in charge of. And he gave them that. They had it in their freezer for safekeeping so that when they could connect the dots and claim that prize, they were even going to do that. This was one of the wildest parts of the reporting of this story. So I had no idea about the M&M connection. And Robin Colombo, who is married to Gennaro Colombo, told me that she'd opened the fridge one night and found this mysterious great M&M and was about to eat it. She was very hungry. And her husband appeared behind her and said, don't eat that. That's worth a million dollars. And it was part of apparently the Mars Corporation ran a competition in the 90s to find a gray imposter M&M. And if you did, you were a millionaire. And although Mars didn't respond to my inquiries and neither did McDonald's or anyone involved in the production of these pieces, I did discover that the same company made the Mars corporations, the M&M promotional material as did the McDonald's stuff. So oh we can only assume that the criminal conspiracy might have been a bit bigger <laughs> than what we knew about originally. Back to how the case was cracked. They were handing out to people that they knew at certain points. They were handing it out. It's like, my butcher knows a guy who can win it. And they'd travel out of state. And then a lot of times what McDonald's would do would get these winners and put them in front of a camera and say, hey, congratulations. How did you win? And everything like that. Because people want to know. People want to keep the excitement up. The FBI agent, Richard Dent, would track those people down and say, well, they don't actually live in North Carolina. They live in South Carolina. And that's miles away from this last winner who was trying to claim the winning ticket in another state as well. So that's how he was putting together all the pieces. The turning point for the FBI was when Agent Dent printed out a map of the Carolinas and he put a pin in each of the winners' addresses once he'd found where they really lived. And about five or six of them 
all lived around this small town <laughs> near Anderson, South Carolina. And the odds of five or six people all winning a million dollars, one in 500 million chance, are absolutely astronomical. He knew that to get a conviction, the FBI would have to do something really splashy. So they decided to set up a McSting. I love that. The McSting. This was going on from 1989 at the beginning, at the early part of it, to 2001, 11 years. And this all came down because of an anonymous tip where they called a special agent Dent and told him about it. We still don't know who put that tip in, right? You must assume it might have been somebody who was wronged somewhere along the line in this process. I spoke to so many people who were convicted in this crime, and everyone has got an opinion on who the tipster was. My personal theory is one that I share with Robin Colombo, whose husband died during the case or just before the trial happened. And she believes that it was the Colombo crime family that called the FBI because of a family dispute. That's the theory that I think is the most reliable. In all of this millions of dollars in fraud, how much time did Jacobson get? How much did you say he was had handed out? It was in the 20-something million dollars, or $24 million? $24 million, yes. He yeah. pleaded guilty, so he got a much reduced sentence. He did about three years. That's it. He was one of the few people to go to jail. I think three other people got jail sentences, and they served just over a year. Everyone else, they got probation. And nearly 50 people are still paying back their restitution today at $50 a month. Oh, my God. It's an amazing story. We're going to link to it. Jeff Mace, journalist and author, covers unusual crimes and criminals, as this story definitely is. We found this in The Daily Beast. Thank you very much for telling us this story. It's a, it's a very fun one to, to read through and to listen to you tell. Thank you very much. Wow. That is an intense story. And as soon as the interview was done off the air, I asked him, how come that's not a movie yet. How have the rights not been bought? And he told us to keep our eyes open because he's been speaking to people. The whole story just demonstrates the evils of chasing the riches at the expense of others. Strange things happen when people are conspiring to cheat fate. Gennaro Colombo, the, the crime boss guy, he won the car using the stolen prize ticket. And the way he died was he died in a car accident. Uh, was it in that Viper? No, it was not in the Viper because <laughs> his wife even said in the story, uh, Oh, him winning a Viper? Uh, no, he's a little too fat. Jerry Colombo looks exactly like Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah, he totally does. And Jeff Mache looked into a bunch of newspapers trying to find out who all the winners were. There was other suspect winners. There was a cop who was struggling with unpaid bills and told reporters that he just found it in his squad car. Mm -hmm. uh, years later, a family living just about 40 miles away from Jacobson's home had won 250 grand. Oh, and then your favorite part, the imposter M&M candy. Yeah. In 1997, a newspaper reported that a college student in Florida won the $1 million prize finding that gray-colored M&M, but he won it before Mars even announced the contest. Uh, <laughs> and his father, he was like a Baptist. He was very religious. He said, the Lord doesn't approve of gambling, but a candy contest is something different. Oh, my. Uh, Jeff reached out to them. Uh, no responses there. I mean, you know, you don't know Look what's going to happen when greed takes over. So it's an amazing story. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.